Welcome to Beyond the Shoots is presented by Parasite Systems. I'm your host, Doug Simcox, and I hope that you are having a great day, staying safe, and enjoying this beautiful fall weather. Today I'm recording in Taylorsville, Kentucky, and we have on the phone the 23-time IPRA world champion, Mr. Sean Miner. Today we're going to be asking about his childhood, about finding rodeo, his pro rodeo career, and what he is doing today. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Sean Miner. Sean, how are you today, sir? Man, I'm great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It sounds like you are on the road. Can you tell our listeners where you are today? Uh, yes, I am uh, in between uh, Syracuse and Buffalo. I'm headed back from Albany, uh, headed home. Oh, wow. And and where is home, Sean? Uh, I live down kind of in between Dayton and Cincinnati, Ohio. Okay. Camden, so. so right off 75 in that area? Yep. Okay. Yep, right in there. And and a big run all the way to Albany. How many hours is that from the house? Well, uh, if I uh, if I eat my Wheaties <laughs> the the day before, yeah, I can usually do it uh, in about thirty eight hours. I go. I leave my house usually around five thirty in the morning, and I'll go to Peoria and pick up a load. And uh, and then have it to Albany. Oh, usually two or three in the morning, drop it off. Then I'll sleep for a couple, two or three hours. And then uh, generally I'll be home, you know, eight, nine o'clock at night. So. Okay. Are you hauling empty, headed back to, to the house? Yep, I'm empty right now. Okay. So. so cruising along pretty good then. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, Rolling we, light. Rolling light. <laughs> rolling light. Um, well, we, we appreciate you being on the show today. You know, I was thinking as I was preparing for our conversation today, you and I met in the early 2000s, probably 2004, 2005. Uh, you were coming up into the Northeast a bit at that point, and I remember when you showed up. So I'm excited about today's conversation. But before we get into all of that, tell us about growing up. Where did you grow up, Sean? I grew up... Uh in northwest nebraska in the sand hills uh, a little town called gordon and uh where i grew up i was 25 miles from town uh 18 miles to the nearest paved highway uh grew up on about 30 38,000 acres right there 38,000 acres so ranching running cattle horses what were you doing Yep. Yeah, it was a cow calf operation. Uh, my my folks had, and uh, we didn't raise too many horses, but you know, rode a lot of them. Uh, broke a lot of colts, uh, you know, that kind of thing. But it was a cow calf operation. Um, you know, we at one point, uh, I I guess I was in my early twenties. Uh, I think we were running about. 2300 head of mama cows oh wow and uh you know had four i guess we had like it was four married married men working for us and one single guy oh wow so five hands working for you full time yep yep we had uh all different you know they lived on different homesteads and at the time uh my dad had a, a feedlot too so uh we had that going on, and then he was partners in 
in two different sale barns. And uh, so cattle, cattle was our thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And and he was so he in the feedlot. He was finishing cattle. Yeah, he would uh, a little bit of everything. He would he would buy a lot of broken mouth cows, mm-hmm. open cows, and and uh, put them on full feed. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'd background you know some some yearlings and stuff. Um, the only thing that I liked about that feedlot is that where that's where we took all of our bulls and wintered them there all all winter, so we didn't have to fix the fence all winter from them damn things fighting all the time oh okay and and that makes sense they can be hard on the fences so when they weren't in the feedlot and and wintered there they were out with the cows yep pretty much yeah we we kept them up there and i was like this is the only thing that i like about that feedlot (laughs) because i was i was used to riding miles and you know uh i i mean I, i grew up where i grew up uh, and like when I went to school and stuff, uh, I rode horses to school. Really? Yep. It was, uh, it was a little one room schoolhouse about seven miles straight south of the ranch. And, uh, a lot of people don't believe this, but, uh, you know, I, I'd break ponies to ride, uh, just anything that needed miles, the neighbors to bring stuff. My, my uncles would send stuff and we would. Me and uh, one of the hired men's kids, uh, we'd lope them down there until it got so cold that you couldn't, you know, of course. Uh-huh. About this time of year was kind of when it shut us down. And and then we would we'd drive ourselves. I was, uh, I was eight, eight or nine when I started driving a stick shift pickup to school. Really? And, okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But, uh. So it was, you know, we, it was, uh, it was uh, wide open country. You know, we didn't know any better. Yeah. We'd have them big snowstorms come in and we never missed school because we knew if, if we never missed a day of school that we would get out mm-hmm. uh, May 5th or right in there somewhere. And, and then we, we wouldn't miss any Brandons in the spring. So we made sure that we, uh, we never missed any school. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. For sure. And and for our listeners, I want to <clears throat> I want to back up just a little bit. Number 1, you're driving at 8 years old. Before that, you're riding horses 7 miles and 7 miles is is what about a 45 minute ride? Can you do it in 45 uh, minutes? No. No. No, it was uh I used to leave the house about 6 probably 6 in the morning. Uh-huh. I can't remember for sure. I know it was generally it was fairly dark uh and and it didn't take too and i guess it was you know it was seven miles if you drove there Mm -hmm. so Uh, riding a horse just and i mean it was a straight shot okay um straight south across the hill no fences Uh, between here oh yeah there there was a lot of (laughs) a lot of gates stuff we had to go through but okay but uh but I, I, you know, I would say it was a good five and a half, probably six miles, okay. you know, straight south. But yeah. uh, you could make it, we could make it in an hour and, you okay. know, hour and a half, oh, something wow. like that. Long trotting and, yeah. and, and loping, you know, <laughs> sometimes I'd come walking back to the, to the barn or to the house and I didn't, I wouldn't have a horse because I got bucked off. Yeah. And, 
Did the horse my fight? Mom would, Go ahead. Well, the horse would always come home, yeah. but my mom would have to run me to school in the pickup. Okay. So I wasn't late. <laughs> yeah. Stuff like that. You okay. know. We, okay. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty wild. Me and that uh, the hired man's kid. His name was Wyatt. Uh-huh. Uh huh. We we topped the hill because that my school sat down in a big valley. And we'd top the hill, and then we'd have a horse race to the bottom. And and one time I cut across this other little hill, and he went around it. And uh, I forgot there was a big blowout up there, and I jumped this pony off of it. And, and she didn't land very good because she went end over end and oh, slid on top of me. And and uh, I told Wyatt, I said, you can't, you can't tell nobody. I said, we'll get in all kinds of trouble because we're horse racing, you know. <laughs> but you got up rough and tumble. You were okay after after a spill like that? Oh, yeah. Okay. It, uh, she lit on top of me, but it was just a pony. So, you know, it wasn't that big a deal. And the, the sand was real deep and, okay. and the ground wasn't froze. I'm, I remember the ground wasn't froze yet. So it didn't hurt too bad. It was, it was, uh, it was a learning experience because... After that, then we horse raced around that little hill instead of across it. <laughs> Not to make the same mistake again. Talk a little bit about the weather uh, for our folks. Uh, northwestern uh, Nebraska. How far were you guys from, like, the Colorado border? Oh, you could be in Denver in five and a half hours. Oh, okay. So still a bit of a push. But what was yeah. the weather like? Blizzards? Freezing? Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. I mean, the wind would blow. You know, the wind blows all the time out there. So, uh, you know, 40-mile-hour wind and eight inches of snow makes it pretty impassable, you know, as far as the roads go. Uh, I can remember being snowed in for you know, a week and a half, sometimes two weeks at a time because we'd have them big storms blow in and and uh, the county, they would, you know, they'd come out in a road grader and, and a V-plow and they'd plow us out. But the snow, or if the wind didn't quit blowing, you know, it would just blow it right back shut again. And, and uh, we had, you know, big four-wheel drive tractors with, with blades on it and, and and a bucket and and we had roads built to where we could feed our cows and and that was always worried about you know none of us ever even very good a second thought really you know nobody cared that the mail wasn't running you know we always took care of the cows and and went about our day you know pitched ice and and uh we'd ride a snowmobile to school and uh you know make sure we didn't miss no school and and uh Sometimes we wouldn't take recess and uh, or lunch, and she'd let us out. The old school mom, she'd let us out at one sometimes so we could go home and work. Oh, wow. Okay. So, okay. But yeah, I mean, there's been there's been many a big blizzards that, uh, that you know, just had us stocked in for, for you know, a week or so every time. It's, yeah. There's... I, I can't even name them all. You know, there's there's been so many be, just because of the wind. You know, the the snow wasn't the deal, but it was always the wind, and you know, it thirty below zero and that kind of fun stuff. You know, where nothing works, and and uh, you just make you makes you really really just want to be a rancher. Yeah. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. And, and, and and 
while you're snowed in, right, and can't go to school in, you know, a week and a half or whatever, you're not sitting in the house in front of the fire with your feet up, right? No, there there was no such thing as that. <laughs> I, I've been paying taxes since I was nine. Uh, okay. So, okay. you know, it, there there was no, yeah, we, we learned at a very early age. I would hate to guess how many bucket calves I raised, mm-hmm. you know, over the years. Uh, you know, it, it, I, I don't know what I'm going to do when I get old and retire and don't have nothing to feed or take care of. Yeah. That would yeah. be really weird for me. You know, I'll have to have a an old horse or something around so I can feed it every day because I just won't feel right if I don't. Get up and do chores. And with 2,300 yep. cows, right? Now, we're not talking the feedlot necessarily, but 2,300 cows, you winter them, you bring them up to the house, to the, to the, to the, to the main lots at that point in the winter? Well, the only time we'd bring them up very close, um, we had winter range and okay. some of them, okay. some of them pastures, uh, were really, really rough as far as, I mean, big choppy hills and lots of windbreak and a lot of grass. And, and we didn't start feeding hay, you know, until we absolutely had to. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, first, well, the middle, I'd, I'd say the middle of February, if we weren't calving heifers, uh, the first of February, you know, we'd start bringing everything in because we generally we'd start calving about the first of March, and then we keep everything up close. Yeah, and uh, you know, and then you live with them twenty four seven, basically. You know, because when it's you know ten below zero, you got about fifteen minutes before that calf's dead. Right. Right. And so you gotta, you know, you always have a horse saddled twenty four hours a day and. And uh, as soon as that calf hits the ground, we we had a a little cart that was made out of hog panel Mm -hmm. on skis. Mm -hmm. And uh, you'd grab that calf and set it down in there. And well, that cow could smell him and watch him. And and we'd just drag him to the barn with a horse. And that cow would follow you right in there. You know, nine nine out of ten times, that's the way it's going to happen. Yeah. And get him in and... And just as long as they were out of the wind and that old cow would, you know, take care of them and we never had any problems, but, uh, uh, you know, you, it was just, uh, it was 24 seven, you know, you just, you caught it, catch a nap now and then wherever you could. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and for our listeners, when you talk about haying, you probably start haying what are you, are they haying like right now, uh, the 8th of November? Um, no, 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 they, they probably won't start feeding hay. Uh, it's, you got to have to have a pretty good snowfall for okay. them to, okay. to even start before January. Okay. You know, cause that, that pasture, you know, them, that winter range and stuff, they don't use it for only just in the winter. So all summer long, them, that winter range does nothing but grow and the grass gets real tall and deep and and uh so there's you know it saves on your hay mm-hmm. when uh then once once of course you get them in and start calving then you gotta you feed a, a lot of it and and what uh when you're feeding hay about are you feeding uh hand you know smaller bales you be feeding big round no. bales yeah big big rounds okay feed big round bales and then uh like a 30% protein, uh, we call it cake, but it's mm-hmm. like cubes. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then uh, ear corn. Okay. And uh, that corn, it you know, it holds a lot of heat in it. So uh, you feed that the cake, and you know the. Of course, the the hay out there is Timothy and orchard grass, and and then we had a couple of different pivots of alfalfa, and uh, you know, so the the feed out there is is great, anyways, you know, uh, but you know, you give them that little extra protein and, and stuff, and they they stay fat, slick, and and can handle them winters, you know, if you keep them fed up. Yeah. When we were talking about daily chores, once come January, when you're feeding the corn, the hay, the cake, uh, and everything, how how um, how how long does it take to do your morning chores? Just just for our listeners to understand the kind of the kind of workload that's here with twenty three hundred cows. Well, so every man has a you know every every hard man would have their own their own tractor and feeder and. And everything and and if they didn't mess around you know and everybody got started at seven in the morning they could be done feeding by noon that you know was no problem at all and then in the afternoon you know you can work on whatever you might have tore up or fixed fence or you know the the mound of other stuff that you can do yeah and and where were you getting your feed your corn your hay and and that sort of thing well, like the, the hay, we, we raised our own, you know, we had metas up there. It was all self-irrigated um, metas and, and, and stuff. So we would, in the in the summertime, that's what we did. We'd put up hay uh, right around, oh, just, just down there where we were at. Um, we'd put up about 8,000 round bales a really? year. Really? Yeah. Okay. Man, yep. man. So you... you you're toting a lot of hay in. How far would you have to haul that hay in to get it to where you could work it in the wintertime to feed? Well, you tried to kind of do that strategically. Uh, we had what we called uh, like hay lots. And so you would you go and you'd have them guys. You'd have, when we were splitting up hay, we always had two guys that were moving hay. And, uh, and a lot of times... You know, like them, anything that was close to the winter range, you'd you'd have them, them hay lots, close to you know, close to wherever your, uh, wherever your got all your cows at on, in the winter range. So you'd move all that stuff there, and and that way it wasn't you didn't have to haul it that far. I see, I see. Yeah. Okay. And and you talked about calving. Um, and you talked specifically, you mentioned specifically about calving heifers and, and of course, heifers, uh, that's going to be first calf. Tell us about some of the challenges there with these young, these young <laughs> heifers. Yeah. Uh, man, it is a lot of work. Uh, you know, because they, that, that first time, you know, sometimes they, they basically lose their mind, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. they I've seen I've seen some of them heifers just maul their babies and and you know not claim them and just act stupid, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And then there's other ones that lay down and have them on their own and and uh, you know no problems at all. But you know mostly your your biggest fear is is them not taking care of them. Mm-hmm. You know once they get them on the ground, 
So taking care of them, having them take care of their own calf, and having the right bull on them, where you didn't have to pull ninety percent of them. Yeah, that was that was the key. Okay. You know, to way less workload as far as a first calf effort goes. All right, so let me back up here, and I was going to ask this question: If you guys plan, you ran your heifers separate, it sounds like, than your than your stock cows. Yes, uh, yeah. So the, the all the heifers, the first calf heifers, would be all in a, a whole different pasture. Okay. Um, and and generally, what we would do is is we would AI about two hundred and fifty head. Really. And uh, so, you know, when when they would start calving, they were they were squirting them out now mm. so, i mean getting with it so smaller and, calves is what you were looking for for these heifers well yeah you're you want a low a low birth weight bull for sure okay you know and that way you're not pulling 30 head of calves a day yeah. you know and scratching your head going man why'd i go with this bigger birth weight bull uh-huh uh, but uh so uh my dad was was pretty he was a, he was a cow man so he was pretty savvy on that stuff and and uh we never really had too much problem the only time we ever I, that i can ever remember we haven't having big problems with first calf heifers was when he bought them you know he would buy you know 30 40 50 head or whatever uh that were and that's bred? when they were already bred. Yeah, that, okay. Yeah, they were already bred, and that's when we would run into problems. Okay. And when we did it on our own, yeah, he, you know, he he was very, he was he was a, you know, hell of a cow man. Yeah. And uh, you know, he he knew about the birth weights and and uh, easy cabin bulls and and stuff like that, and that's just man, that just makes for longevity. Yeah. Of of your help, you know, because. You know, it, it's it's it ain't fun at all to have to pull every one of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's uh, it just makes for a lot of work and no sleep and and uh, then everybody's grouchy and yeah, it just it hard just on makes attitudes. It a lot yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, hard on attitudes. That's and, for sure. And for our listeners, pulling calves is means uh, to to assist the. To assist the heifer because she can't push. Maybe that calf's a bit bigger, um, yep. bigger than the canal is meant to be at that point. So you will pull. Yep. You use a come along or reach in for no. sure. No. Well, very very rarely. We, okay. we always we had a calf puller. Okay. But but if you don't know what you're doing with them calf yeah. pullers, man, yeah. you can break legs and everything else with them. Yeah. Uh, what we used was calving chains. Would put two cabin chains, one on each foot, okay. depending on whether he was, you know, f backwards or frontwards. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we would put a, a back cinch yeah. around us. Yeah. We'd step in it, and then we'd use them, uh, you know, just buckle it into the chains. Mm -hmm. And we would really, we would use our own weight yeah. to help pull them. And we would wait, you know, you could rear back on it, just kind of rest there. And then you'd wait for her to, to contract and push. Mm -hmm. And it just made it so much better than, than using them calf pullers. You know, them, them pullers, you can, you can put way too much tension on them and, and break legs and everything else. So we tried to steer clear of it. And generally, if we couldn't 
pull one, you know, with a cinch around us, then it was probably a C-section. I see. I see. And would so, you call the vet at that point for a C-section? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we would. Um, we got to where, you know, back in the day, they used to roll them cow or them heifers over on their back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they would cut them right out the bottom of their belly, mm-hmm. and uh, and then it, of course, the you know the the medicine and everything evolved more to where they would do do it with the heifer standing up and just oh, cut wow. it right outside. Oh wow! So that got to be you know my dad could could cut them out of their belly, mm-hmm. but uh, once we got to where uh, you know it that's that's cutting through a lot of layers and and, and a lot of things like that where we would just, you know, we'd just call the vet and have him come down and, and or run him to town, either, you know, either or. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, okay. Weather permitting. I was going to say, in the <laughs> middle of all this, you're, you're probably stripped down to get those chains on. Yep. And it's and it's March, it's February, so cold, 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 winds blowing, snowing, didn't matter. You, well, you, yeah, we had everything around, you know, around the house, okay, around around the barns, oh. and and we had cabin sheds, and and you know, you know, like a milk cow stanchion. Mm-hmm. We had a we had a little cabin barn where you could run them in and squeeze them in there, and, and they'd run their head through there and just snap their head in, uh, in a head catch, and then you got them. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. uh. It it wasn't a, it wasn't like we were doing it out in the pasture or anything oh, like okay. that. It was, okay. you know, because it's just too damn cold yeah. for that yeah. most of the time. You know, when the wind's blowing and stuff, you'd you'd have you'd be horseback, you know, getting them in. Yeah, because a lot of times when you know, oh, probably I'd say five out of ten, you got to rope them and drag them to the barn anyway. So yeah, yeah, because yeah. uh, they don't want to, you know, they're just not in a complying mood. Yeah. Yeah, for but, sure. Uh, but yeah, we, we'd always do it in there. And then we, we had, uh, some of that continuous heat water mm-hmm. and water heaters. Mm-hmm. And so we had warm water and, and stuff like that. Once we got them in the barn and different things like that. So okay. it wasn't, uh, it wasn't like we were doing it out, you know, out in the middle of nowhere or anything like that. It was, it had a setup where it worked pretty good. Okay. And, and working the ranch, 38,000 acres, 2,300 cows. I mean, how many overnight trips were they? would be out checking cows? You did it oh, on yeah. horseback? No, we would, uh, we had spotlights and a pickup. Okay. Um, and about, you know, when you're calving heavy, uh-huh. every two hours, you better be out there checking them. Really? Okay. So, okay. uh, yeah, yeah. Every two hours. And, and then, you know, you'd. Oh, you'd have uh, three or four started mm-hmm. in the middle of the night. So you might as well just pull over there to the barn and take a little nap in the pickup and wait on them. And, okay. you know, it's way better than going clear back to the house and taking all your clothes off yeah. and yeah. laying down for 45 minutes. It just doesn't make any sense, you yeah. know. And don't remember, you got to get up and get to school uh, the next day, right? Yeah, well, when I was in school, I wasn't in on, you know, the overnight deals and stuff. Okay. I'm I kind of bounced forward to where where I was taking care of, you know, my own herd of cows that I had that uh uh, you know, and that's just how we did it, you yeah, know. Yeah. 
whether I was in school or not, that's that's how it was done. I see. And and then let's go to warmer weather. Let's go to a little bit more comfortable working. Um, wind's always blowing. I get that. But working the ranch. Now we're going to talk a little bit about branding. We're going to talk a little bit about yep. riding the herds, checking fences. Um, yep. All on horseback, of course, for that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we would... Uh... We'd start branding the last weekend of in April, and we would brand, geez, probably right around forty thousand head uh, through the, about the second week of June. That's that's helping all the neighbors. You know, the neighbors help each other, and and we rope and drag them to the fire. Uh, you know, big crews. Uh, we would do. Uh, like we we used to help our neighbors to the south of us. Uh, the, the ranch was called the U Cross Ranch, uh, and we would brand thirteen hundred head and be done by noon. You know, be sitting at the house eating lunch by noon. Thirteen hundred head in the morning, Sean. Yep. Oh my yep. goodness! How many? How many cowboys? How many hands uh, are, are oh, working horses was... and catching calves and dragging calves and? It would be, you know, 30 to 40 guys on horses. And uh, generally, you know, if you got six or eight sets of wrestlers, you're going to have four four guys roping. Um, You're going to have three or four guys branding. You're going to have two guys on each side of the fire cutting. Um, Depending on who it was, they'd dehorn them. Uh, vaccinate. You'd have a vaccinator on each side of the fire. Uh, you know, it, it was it was it's. You know, once once you got gotten that rhythm, man, it we'd roll through them. It didn't take very long. And you the know, fire, it, you're you're heating up the branding irons in the fire. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Well, it, it was a branding stove. Branding so it was run stove. off. Of, yeah, it was run off of propane. Oh. Um, it's kind of a round tube basically where the fire um like a, a weed burner uh-huh. you know uh-huh. yep. a weed burner be on both ends of it blowing heat on each you know towards each other each other and the brandon irons would just set in there and it was you know set up to where you know you didn't have to bend over and it wasn't down in the down in the dirt you know or anything like that and so we called them brandon stove and uh and it you know it would keep Oh, keep 12, 15 Brandon irons red hot, you know, wow. so them guys would take off across there and you could brand, you know, two, three calves sometimes, depending on if, how hot your iron was with the same iron. Okay. So literally, you know, it didn't take, it didn't take not even a full minute per calf. Really? To, to, to cut, to cut the them. horn. Yep. Yep. Depending on like, U Cross was about the only guy that had to uh, had to use you know to dehorn them because he had some he had some red simmentals and and stuff that uh, had some horns and, and things like that. But even even he was so fast with those spoons that uh, that man he dehorned them things and I I mean no little literally no time at all. Yeah. And and but, what uh, was what were your jobs? So go back to when you're the youngest, right? When you were just starting to do well, all this, yeah. You you start, you know, you start wrestling calves. That's 
that's just where you start. Okay. Um, and then by the time I was 10 years old, I was uh, fairly good with a rope. So they put me to roping okay. and dragging them to the fire and, and that kind of thing. I did it all over the years. You know, I branded and cut calves and, and, and all that stuff. But, uh, but we got to where, you know, you go to them smaller Brandons and uh, they were getting to where they were running out of cowboys. They always had plenty of help, but nobody that could rope that good. So I was in a, I was always on a horse, you know, 95% of the time and roping and dragging them to the fire. Mm-hmm. And was that the job to have? <clears throat> oh, yeah. yeah. For me, it was. I mean, because I'd always bring two horses and... And, uh, you know, generally it was a colt and, uh, and, uh, you know, you bring a colt and you drag hundred head to the fire on him and then you use your, one of your older horses to finish it off, you know? Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, as long as I, you know, you would think that it was easier, but when the wind's blowing 40 mile an hour, yeah. that tends to mess with your rope and your arm gets tired from yeah. trying to swing it and, you know, yeah. fighting the wind and, yeah. and stuff but but uh yeah that's that's probably the the spot to be in i would say you know as far as the least amount of walking that yeah. you gotta do yeah but yeah. uh but yeah it um i don't know i i sure i i miss that i miss brandon in the spring, boy, really? we used to we used to brand a ton of them. Yeah, every spring, and and just a big social event. I mean, right? I mean, four thirty, forty people. Oh, yeah, there. yeah, yeah. There was always a lot of people, and then you go back to wherever you you know whoever's place it was, and and it was a big social gathering. You know, they okay. the the women would would uh, would put a spread out there, you know, to feed an army, and uh, you know we'd everybody eat have a few beers and, and, uh, you know, a lot of BS yeah. going on yeah. and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and it was, uh, you know, it was always a, a good time, but, you know, I, I, I really miss, miss that kind of work for sure. Now is the ranch still going? Oh yeah. It yeah. Is. My dad, now the, the, the very place that I grew up on the minor hull ranch <clears throat> was actually inherited my great aunt inherited it from my great grandfather and we, my dad leased it for a lot of years. Um, because at the time she, you know, she didn't want to sell it and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. She lived in Lincoln and I, I don't actually ever remember maybe once in my entire life ever seeing her at the place. Okay. Um, but, uh, anyway, so, I don't know how many years ago it was, probably she's probably 12 years ago, mm-hmm. guessing, mm-hmm. 10, 12 years ago, something like that. She decided to sell it. And of course she wanted, you know, a lot yeah. for it yeah. because it was just that place alone was 18,000 acres. Oh, wow. Okay. And, uh, you know, uh, I don't, I don't even remember. I, it seemed like it was, it was way up in the millions. Yeah. Um, and it just, you know, it didn't pencil out to where it would work for my dad. Right. Right. Uh, so, but, but in all them years, he had bought 
the land that that butted up to it on the south side um the east side and the north side of that of that ranch and that's how we ended up with all that land you know he had bought those those smaller places that surrounded it and so he's still i i would guess he's probably still running i don't know five six hundred head of cows okay um on on them smaller places to the south and to the east so okay but he's not on the main ranch anymore that's been sold yep that's been sold there's a guy from uh uh a guy that apparently uh had a bunch of uh car dealerships from north carolina he come out and uh rang the bell yeah, yeah. <laughs> so to speak, when yeah. he when he paid all that money for it. But, okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. So and, that's that's how that's where it's at now. And and how long was it? It's Minor Hall Ranch. How long was it in the family? Do you remember who who it started a, this ranch? Yeah. Well, they my great grandfather bought that from the Hulls. Okay. Um, and that was to be, that was back when before everybody sold calves right off the cow. Um, back then, um, everybody backgrounded their own calves, kept them until yearlings, and sold them the next fall. You know, they wouldn't sell them right at weaned. You know, they would sell them in a year. They'd keep all them yearlings. So my great-grandfather bought that place for a, just to run yearlings on and uh so this is this is another kind of wild story that most people just look at me and scratch their head and go like they can't believe this but when i was 13 years old um the place that my uncle has is about 50 i think it's 56 miles straight south okay so the way the crow flies is 56 miles straight south of us um there was about 45 of us I think that took off from my from my uncle's place with fifteen hundred head of yearlings, and we trailed them all the way to to where I grew up. The whole place it took us three days. Three days to move fifteen hundred yep. head, forty five miles. Yep. Wow. And and we never. I mean, we cut across the neighbors, and and uh, my dad had a had a uh, six abreast workhorses and a chuck wagon. Okay, I was going to ask. Yeah. And he he followed along. He had a big wall tent. Um, we had a couple teepees. Uh, I can't remember. I don't know. It, but there was you know enough of us that uh, my dad had, my dad had cook us breakfast at four in the morning, and then we wouldn't stop again until you know about four in the afternoon. Okay. Okay. So we'd get them yearlings bedded down and and kind of watch them before. You know, before it got dark on us, and uh, and then he'd cook his supper, and uh, it it was it was something else. There, there's I got some pictures of it. Uh, some people that flew over with their super cubs and took pictures, and we had them yearlings. They were strung out for three and four miles at at a time. Wow. You know, just wow. all strung out. Yeah, cowboys everywhere riding them, and me and. Uh, my uncle Joe and Clark Jerry we were in the front. We were kicking cattle out of the way on the neighbors and stuff. Okay. Uh, and I think we got to have more fun than everybody else did because 
we we did a lot of roping and we we, we had a lot of fun kicking cattle out of the way but uh yeah it was it was an experience for sure i think i i think i got bucked off six or eight times in three days there <laughs> did you really yeah my uncle ed had sent me a pony to ride for for his son i i think his his son was probably my cousin would have been three or four years old at the time and uh that that little paint pony he he kind of wanted to buck more than he wanted to ride and, and them guys got me bucked off i don't know six seven <laughs> times at least i think I, i'm pretty sure i was 13 years old when i when we went on that deal okay okay and and ah, that's like an episode right out of the cowboys right john wayne and and 13 yeah. years of age my goodness and and the fact that you got to be in the front and not in the back uh, right with yes. yeah 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 on the drag man <laughs> i i used to hate eating dust yeah all the time back there on the drag but i remember when i was a little kid they they put they'd always put me on a on a really broke horse that yeah. uh yeah that would you know knew more about cows than i ever did and half the time you could I'd be falling asleep and everything else, and and that old you know whatever I was riding, they would just back and forth, keeping everything up, you know, kind of up in a bunch. They do it on their own, you yeah. know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was back then. It was it was a lot funner to be out in front, kicking <laughs> cattle out of the way and roping, and and uh, you know, it, have have a few nips off the off the bottle with the oh, with the wow. big guys and. <laughs> okay. and uh, we got, you know, we got to grow up a lot faster than most people did, oh, you know, because we, my dad always told me, he said, if you work like a man, you can play like a man. There so we, we made sure that we worked hard. Okay. So let me back up 18,000 acres. Your great grandfather bought it to run yearlings on. Was he already up in that area? And, and actually I want to go back a little bit further than that. What's the, what's the first minor relative that showed up? in the sand hills of nebraska that, who was it that that would be my great-grandfather okay and his and his uncle okay. or not, not his uncle uh my great-grandfather and his brother and his brother joe yep they come from louisiana um seems like there was there was my great-grandfather joe and a sister that stayed in Nebraska, and the rest of them went to Alberta. Really? Okay. Yep. They're okay. all they're all big cattle ranchers in Alberta. Yep. Wow. Um, so at one at one time, uh, my great grandfather Harry, I would say he owned a percent of Nebraska. Okay. At one time. Okay. Because there, there is some great big ranches and stuff around there that, uh, you know, that uh, ended up and that kind of thing. And there's, there's still big corporations really? to this day. What were they? Were they working cattle? Were they farmers coming in from Louisiana? You know what? I, I don't know that. Okay. Um, okay. I just know that uh, that if if anybody uh, has the M I N O R name okay my my grandfather told me that we're related we're you're related okay yep and uh as all i know is that they come up you know from louisiana and spread out 
Washington and Alberta and, and out in there. Uh, and he said, if anybody has the M-I-N-O-R name, we're related somehow. Wow. Okay. All right. So up in the northwest up there. So so 13 years old, pushing cattle. Uh, was that the only time you were able to make a move like that, living the, live the true cowboy overnight way? No, because cause that's, I mean, we, that's all we did. You know, mm-hmm. we, we didn't do, we didn't do anything with cattle that wasn't on a horse. Okay. You know, okay. we moved cows all over the place. At one time it was 14 miles from the north end of the ranch to the south end. So we got plenty of, you know, moving cows and trailing them and, you know, and doctoring hoof rot and that kind of thing. We, you know, rode a lot of miles. A lot of miles. Wow. Okay. So how in the midst of all this did you find rodeo, Sean? Well, um, oddly enough, uh, my dad rode saddle broncs. He did. Okay. Yep. Yep. And uh, I'll never forget it. I was five years old. I was in the backside of the barn, and we had a bucket calf in there that... We'd feed him, you know, having to bottle feed him twice a day. Mm-hmm. And they put a, a rope around him and threw me up on him. And and uh, he took off and bucked me off and threw me into the fence. And and it, I, I had a, a wart on my pointer finger yeah. from, me, from me playing with frogs or whatever. That's what I was told anyway. <laughs> And, uh, and it ripped that wart off Oh, geez. and it bled. I mean, it bled. And I thought that was the coolest thing. And I was like, man, this is what I want to do. Really? I, I you know, yeah, I was, I was scarred for life. <laughs> and, and so any, any time, you know, anything, anything that, that was wild and, and, you know, I can remember getting bucked off quite a few times. My dad bought me a black horse for my fifth birthday. And uh, the hired men told him, don't let that kid ride him. They said he is not ready for that kid because he was a young horse, you know. Yeah. And I can remember getting drilled right outside the barn. I don't know how many times when I was five and six years old. And uh, and just thinking, you know, well, when you when you get your air and and quit balling (laughs) or whatever, you know, then you thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. But. but yeah, and then once I got, oh, I was probably, oh, geez. I know that, I know one time uh, I, I asked if I could go to the 4-H show. And my dad looked at me and he was like, well, he said, uh, he, he, he took a saying from another, some friends of mine, but he said, "Around here, he said we ride them and slide them, not feed them and lead them. <laughs> <laughs> ride them and slide them. I like that. Yeah, we ride them and slide them. Don't we? Don't feed them and lead them. But uh, but anyways, I remember he took me to the to the the 4-H show. I, I was probably six. I don't know, five six years old. And uh, I did good in the walk, and I did good in the trot. And then when they asked to lope." or canner or whatever they call it. We call it loping. Uh, I was just lapping everybody, just making laps around there. I thought I, I thought it was horse racing. You know, I didn't know no better. 
And needless to say, that was my last, my one and only 4-H show that I ever went to in my entire life. I said, I told Dad, I said, that is dumb. I said, I don't understand none of that crap. He said, I said, there ain't, we ain't chasing cows or nothing. Yeah. And uh, so that was that was the, the extent of my 4-H career. But uh, so then, uh, you know, after that, I, I think I was nine, eight or nine years old. And my dad got... He was ended up being partners with Stan McKillop and a rodeo company in uh, in Nebraska there, S and J Rodeo. And uh, Stan McKillop is actually the the guy that uh, that put together and started the Old Timers Association. Oh, okay. Yep, back in the day. Um, so, you know, then then of course I was you know one of them rodeo brats and there's nothing tougher than a rodeo brat you know because they every every person in the whole country teases you and you know and and uh they're just they're they're a different breed of kid i don't care what anybody says you know yeah and uh so there 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 i was you know i was just scarred they were letting me get on steers and and whatever I, i remember they had a had a big donkey that no one ever could ever get rode because he'd go out there and he'd suck back and ah. and uh, whatever they had on him, he would skin it off of them and you know throw their you know he'd chuck a rig in or chuck a saddle or whatever it'd go right over his head. And I got on him I don't know five or six times and I with a bareback rig and I think I was eleven or twelve and finally I put a britching on it on him where my rigging wouldn't slide over his head and I finally yep. got him rode. I was the only guy that ever get him rode. And I thought I just conquered King Kong, you know. And uh so so yeah, then then after that I was just I was ate up with it, you know. And so, that's that's basically how I got my start. Okay. So let me back up a little bit. You guys are working crazy. You're working lots of long hours. So we're talking summertime and it slows down in summertime for you? Well, no, no, not really. No. Uh, because, you know, in the summertime, we got to put up all the hay. Right, right. So you so, get, okay. And, and, yeah, and I guess, I guess where I'm going, Sean, your dad's running this crazy large ranch and he decides he wants to uh, get in on partnership on S&J Rodeo. Yeah. So how far was it? Uh, how far was it for you to travel to some of these places you're describing? Well, you know, 25 miles our hometown. Right. Uh, right. But uh, Stan McKillop was from Mullen, Nebraska. Um, and he, he was part owners. Well, actually, he owned the hotel in Hyannis, which is the next town south of us, about, I don't know, 50, 59 miles or something. So, and we had, you know, had rodeos in Hyannis, had rodeos in Gordon and Mullen and, and all over the state, really, um, in Nebraska. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, for us, you know, even, even today, you know, I, I, I look at stuff and I'm like, wow, it ain't but six hours over there. Right. It ain't that far. Right. And, you know, most people go, oh, my God, it's six hours, you know. Yeah. And I just, we just, you know. Even there, ever since I was a little kid, I was, you know, it was just, well, it's only, you know, six hours, you know, that ain't no big deal. Yeah. 
so you know it's all in in how you're raised and and how you look at stuff you know you bet you bet for sure and and at this time you're you're riding steers you got on this big donkey are you also roping oh yeah okay yeah i I didn't you know i i never really got into roping competitively i made the high school finals in the team roping um and the healing because i'm left-handed okay uh you know but it just wasn't it it wasn't my forte because I, I roped all the time on the ranch. Right. And I, nine times out of 10, I wasn't mounted quite good enough probably to be doing what I, uh, you know, to be competitive. Uh, the horse that I made the high school finals on, um, he, he bucked me off harder than any bucking horse ever has in my entire life. And I had won the bareback riding, I'd won the bronc riding, and I was in the slack in the bull riding that morning and one third in the bull riding. And then I come out in the team roping and I mean, get slammed. Really? Yeah. And of course, everybody thought that was the funniest thing that they'd ever seen in their entire life. Yeah. Yeah. And which it was. You know, it was, yeah. it was good watching. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, I'd, I'd pay to watch something like that today. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, so it, it was, uh, I, I was never really worried about, you know, just, I just, it wasn't that big of a deal to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I just, you know, nothing, I didn't eat it and sleep it and drink it. And, you know, like I did bucking horses, you know, that was, that was where it was at. I, you know, I was, I was ate up with that and I didn't care about nothing else. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was just one of them deals where it wasn't that big a deal to me. So, so high school rodeo was really the first, I know he did some pickup rodeos and that sort of thing, uh, prior to that, but high school was really kind of the main structured rodeo you got involved with. And were you involved as a freshman? No, I, I actually, I, I little britches rodeo. Oh, you did. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, I don't know how old I would have been in 89, but that was when I won my first saddle at a Goodland, Kansas at a little britches rodeo. Um, we, I rode, uh, I rode junior bulls and junior barebacks. And then, uh, the guys that I, the guy I traveled with, Chad Miller, his mom and dad hauled us around to most of them, and he was a roping fool. And uh, me and him were partners in the ribbon roping. Mm-hmm. I could run like a scared antelope, so uh, <laughs> so he was he and he was a good roper. And and uh, me and him were uh, we were runner up world champions in the in the junior division in the in the ribbon roping. So uh, you know it's it's <laughs> that. That was that worked out good for both of us. <laughs> okay, so you got introduced to to bull riding there in the little britches, um, and barebacks. When did you get introduced to saddle bronx then? Well, they wouldn't let me get on any saddle bronx until I was big enough to fit in a saddle. Um, I think I was. Well, I had to be a freshman. Okay, so fifteen, fourteen, fifteen years old. Um, before they'd let me, and I guarantee I got on a hundred head before I even made it four jumps, I think probably. Really? Okay. Uh, 
Okay. Yeah, I, I would say at least that many. I, I don't know. I was terrible at it. I'm like, I've, I can ride them in a stock saddle, but this Bronx saddle thing is crazy. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, I, 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 I don't even remember. Um, but I know that, that they wouldn't let me get on any because I was so little. You are so small. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I can remember getting hung up in Fort Collins, Colorado to a bareback horse called Snake Eyes. And the pickup men rode in there and I was hung up to him and, and the pickup men rode in there and just picked me up and sat me back in the middle of him. Cause I didn't, I was, I was two foot from the ground. Okay. Like I was just hanging there yeah. in, in midair, you know, it wasn't like I was dragging around or anything. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, by the time I was 14 or 15, I think I grew enough where they would, they stuck me in a saddle. Okay. And let me, let me get after it. Okay. And then did you ride, did you, did you qualify? Let me finish up a little Bridges Rodeo. I know in, in Goodland, Kansas, uh, did you, did, was that the, like the national Little Britches Rodeo? No, no, no the, the Little Britches, the Little Britches finals <clears throat> was in, uh, Colorado Springs. Oh. At Pikes Peak. Yeah. Oh. And, uh, yeah, I, I made the finals, oh, geez, I don't know, four or five times wow. at least. Okay. And the bareback riding and the bull riding and, and then by the time, uh, and the, uh, the, uh, ribbon roping, um, and then by the time, uh, uh, you know, I got into the senior division, well, then I was already, I was in high school rodeos and, and going to amateur rodeos and, and stuff like that. I just kind of, you know, basically leap past the little britches stuff and, mm-hmm. and, uh, kind of quit going to them but uh and, and did you win any any titles other than the ribbon roping in the little britches um no i didn't mm-hmm. uh just i mean i, I didn't I, I don't remember if i was runner up in the junior bareback riding or not i can't remember yeah. for sure yeah uh but i won a won an all-around saddle once and and one, you know, tons and tons of buckles and yeah. buckets yeah. and feed pans and hats <laughs> and all no kinds doubt. of crap. I'm, you know, so it, you know, did, did well, but I don't, I don't think I ever, I, I didn't win any titles in the little britches. I don't think. Okay. <laughs> and then high school rodeo. So now bareback saddle Bronx bulls, pretty good bull rider. Did you enjoy bull riding, Sean? No, no, I absolutely hated it. Um, I couldn't get off of them damn things. I, every time I would I get to the whistle or get bucked off, I'd get stepped on or hooked or, or something. And I'm like, man, these things are, well, it didn't help that I was, you know, you about couldn't get me out of the portage on right before the bull riding anyway. She left was scared. Okay. Um, okay. But, uh, I rode them pretty good because I was so scared. I think I really? was scared to hit the ground because I, every time I, I did, you know, something would happen. I'd get hurt somehow. And, uh, I think when I was a junior in high school was the last year I made the finals, the, the state finals and stuff. And I made it in the team roping barebacks, saddle Bronx and the bull riding and, uh, Corco used to put on our finals and he br- brought a bunch of young bulls. And of course I was extra scared of them cause they were snorty. And, and I said, you know what, I'm going to be done with this bull riding deal. Okay. And I hung it up 
And I never got on another bull until I was in college. Really? Okay. So junior in high school, you said enough of this. Yep. Yep. I had enough of it. I just, I didn't like it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I understand. Um, But still team roping barebacks and saddle bronx at that point. And then, and then, so you wrote all four years. Did you get to the finals? Tell us what you remember. I, I know you got to the finals. You did that in the team roping as a healer. Um, tell us about some of your finals, National High School Rodeo Association finals memory. Yeah. Um, I think my junior year uh, seems like would have been, uh, no, I'm trying to think here. I think I won, I won state in the bareback riding my sophomore year. I, I ended up being a state champion then. Mm-hmm. And then my junior year, I won the bareback riding again. And then I think when I was a senior, I won the barebacks and the saddle bronx. Okay. Um, didn't you know? I, I I rodeoed with guys like Todd Soon and and uh, Jeff Johnston and and some of them guys that were bad cats back then, mm-hmm. as far as the time eventers go. You know, so there was there. I wasn't dedicated to it enough to to be able to put the time in i think to to really yeah. play with them guys okay um okay. you know so there then again you know i i was so into riding bucking horses that uh i made the state finals you know i don't know two or three years there mm-hmm. uh in the team roping but it you know that was just to get some more points basically <laughs> and put you in that all around or, or help you in the all around race i yeah, should yeah help help me in the all around yeah okay and then again you know randy soon and todd soon and and uh all them johnston boys and and stuff that i grew up with you know they did every time of event and, and they cut yeah, okay so as far as trying to to beat them guys in the in the all around was that was that wasn't going to happen right, either right, you know right right uh but uh but yeah i it was it was pretty good i i think i i won four four high school state championships okay which qualified you for the finals were you able to go to yep. the finals then yeah yeah i went to uh went to shawnee my first year i guess um didn't didn't win any national titles one around i i went around just about every time i went uh, and then something would happen, you know, I would get on a very good horse for my second one or my first one or whatever, but always, you know, had luck there. I, I'd went around or so and, and in the bareback riding, uh, and then I went two, three years, I guess, to Gillette. Oh, okay. Um, okay. and, um, you know, same thing there. I'd get on one good one and one horse that shouldn't have been there, you right. know, kind of a deal right. with right. rodeo stuff, you know? Right. Uh, but uh yeah that's that uh that was about it and then we got we got recruited for the big college what oh, and what college was that you mentioned that um my first two years uh i went to wtc which was in snyder texas okay oh and wow. uh yeah yeah well, you can imagine the old snowdrift king from nebraska never been anywhere in my entire life yeah go to blast into texas you know i thought holy crap this is a whole different world down here in the desert 
So, and, so a couple uh, things, weather beside, and I get that, or weather aside, I should say, um, you, what, 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 what dads think about you leaving? I mean, he's losing a good hand. What, what, uh, what effect that have on the rant? Oh, I, it, it didn't really affect it much. You know, he, he knew that, that, uh, you know, he kind of helped create a monster so to speak, as far as riding bucking horses. And, and, uh, so he, you know, he didn't have a lot to say about as far as staying home and take care of the ranch. And, you know, that, that came, that came later in years, Okay. you know, okay. but college and, and that kind of stuff, he, he didn't say much, he just, whatever. So, so two years on the rodeo team at WTC. Yep. What events yep. were you working there? I just worked bareback riding and bronc riding. That was okay. it. Okay. Bareback yeah. and saddle broncs. And tell us a little bit about a lot of travel. How did that all work with, with the classes and everything? Yeah. Um, it was pretty simple. I had, I, I went to get a welding degree. Uh, so class was from seven in the morning until noon. Um, and then it's, you know, I had an hour. Of course, the first thing I did was found a job. And, uh, and then I would go from there, I'd eat lunch and then I'd go out and, and I worked for, it was a place called Babcock Slick Wireline and it was a big welding shop and they had a, you know, oil field stuff and, and, uh, I went and then I'd weld all afternoon for them guys and then go to practice. We'd, we'd ride bucking horses and bulls, uh, every other day, I guess during, you know, during the season. Mm -hmm. Well, actually year round there, down there, because it did snow once and it was about <laughs> a, a skift and everybody thought that, that the world was ending. And, uh, of course we laughed about it and, you know, yeah. walked around in our t-shirts cause it was 58 degrees by noon, yeah. you know? So but, uh, you had a rodeo coach in, in college. Who was your rodeo coach at uh, WTC? Well, Bob Doty. Um, he recruited us and then in the midst of that, and that summer, somehow or another, he took a job, um, in Stephenville, um, in, at Tarleton and, uh, geez, I knew my mind was going to go blank, but anyways, we had a first year guy, okay. um, come in there and, and, uh, we were pretty hard on him. Yeah. Guarantee you. We were pretty hard on him. We, we, you know, we little wild ranch kids and, you know, it was me and Davy Shields and, uh, Cleve Schmidt and, uh, you know, a bunch of NFR guys that of course none of us had made the NFR or anything like that back then. But, uh, we, we thought we were pretty wild and we were, yeah. we, we, we pushed the limits on a lot of things. So Davy Shields and Cleve Schmidt, they were both bareback riders. Yep. Okay. Yep. And and what did uh, what did having a coach hanging out with Davy Shields and Cleve Schmidt? What did what effect did that have on your riding? It just is all that did was made me ride better. Okay. You know okay. when you and I'm a firm believer you're you're only as good as your competition, mm -hmm. and uh, and so back then especially. You know, when we were, 
I didn't I didn't buy my BRCA permit until I was a sophomore in college, but I felt like I could, you know, in that year I of riding against them guys and with them guys and just being with them uh, made me think in my head that I could ride with anyone. Okay. You know. Okay. So so uh, you know, I bought my permit and and uh of course i filled it and in one rodeo uh one killed here in north dakota but uh uh it uh you know it it made me it made me a better competitor um and it it made me stronger mentally uh right off the bat you know uh it then again, you know, it's, it's most of it is because, you know, you're only as good as your competition. And if you want to be the best, you have to be able to beat the best. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and so that's, that was my mindset, you I know, see. as far as, as that goes. And, and, uh, you know, we, you know, we college rodeo together and then we went to lots and lots of PRCA rodeos, me and Davy Shields, we were roommates for three years oh wow um yeah roommates in snyder for two years and then he took a year off and that was the first year he made the nfr in 97 um and then he come back to weatherford by that time i'd moved on to weatherford oklahoma um to southwestern oklahoma state and uh and then we were roommates again so uh, you know, just being with guys like them with a good attitude, um, it just, it just makes you a better person mm-hmm. along with a better competitor. Okay. You know, it's, okay. it's the power of positive thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you gotta be able to believe in yourself before, uh, anybody else is going to. Yeah. Yeah. And we talk a lot about that on here, the, the, you know, the mental game of rodeo, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to ask you, um, you know, I hear, you know, mental, you know, rodeos, 90% mental, right. Or mind. What would you, what's your estimate of, of that? Of course you can have skill. Don't get me wrong. Right. Um, I always, I always thought it was 80, 20, 80, 20. Um, yeah, I, you know, uh, for some probably more. Uh, because there were so many guys, I've seen so many guys over the years that the couldn't, the couldn't ride past their head. They couldn't fight their own, you know, they couldn't fight their own battles and get past it. Uh, and so, but for me, it was, you know, it was probably 80, 20, 80, 80% mental and, uh, 20% just heart and try. Okay. You know? Okay. And, and you were able to, when you say get, they couldn't ride past their own head. Was that quieting yourself when you crawled in to where you were just completely focused on, on what you were yeah. doing? Okay. That's, that's taken, that's taken pressure uh-huh. and turn, turning it into something positive, okay. like adrenaline and drive and, you know, just being focused. Yeah. And where, you know, there, there was guys, I, 
Man, I got so many friends, you know, South Dakota, Nebraska, Wyoming, Montana, that every rodeo we'd go to, they'd be like, hey, come sit in my saddle. See what yeah. you think. Yeah. And I'm like, you were just 85 points last night. What's wrong with your saddle? Right. I don't know. It just doesn't feel right. Well, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Right, right, right. You know, once I got my saddle feeling good, I never touched it. Okay. Ever. I didn't care if I got on, you know, Moby Dick one day and then the next day you got on a mouse mm-hmm. i i never touched it okay and and it was stuff like that you know yeah. same yeah. thing with riggins and and you know I, spurs and all these spurs don't feel right blah 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 well that's you're just fighting your own head you right. know right right so so you talk about the travels and i'm gonna go back when you were a sophomore in college at uh, at wtc you you said you filled your permit in Kildare, North Dakota. Yep. How far afield were you guys going? My goodness. How many hours for our listeners is it from West Texas to uh to Kildare, North Dakota, would you say? Well, actually, I was living it was the summer of uh of well, I will see what year would that have been. Would have been the summer of ninety six. Okay. Um, so I, I stayed in Texas summer of 95 because that guy begged me to stay down there and weld all summer. Okay. So I did, I stayed down there, but anyways, the next, the next summer, my dad said, you need to get your butt home and help, help put up. hay." Yeah. I said, all right, no problem. <laughs> so I was actually in Nebraska and from Nebraska to Kildare, North Dakota is probably eight hours, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then in the process, um, he sent me to, to Glendive, Montana to pick up a gas truck for the hayfield. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I went over there and I picked up this old 1970s gas truck, you know, one of them two ton trucks with a, uh, with a big fuel tank on it. Yeah. And, uh, I had to cut through and sneak around Rapid City, South Dakota and cut down through the res and is it, I think the plates had had expired 10 years prior to that and yeah. you know but I, I drove that gas truck home from from glendive montana when i went to Kildare. and i got home with it and he said how'd the truck run i said it was, it was good i said it was a good thing i won that rodeo i said i wouldn't have had enough money to get home with <laughs> such a gas hog he goes oh you won the rodeo i said yeah filled my permit and he's like ah just right okay. let's go to work okay. you know so <laughs> So, so that, that's, um, man, I, I just am thinking about all the miles and all the places you've been already at, at, by the time you're a sophomore in college, pretty crazy. So, and to your point earlier, you know, six hours, that, that's not much, you know, we could, no, yeah, no. we could do that no, pretty it, easy. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's like, like our, our freshman year in college and sophomore year, you know, geez, Alpine, Texas was one of our college rodeos. And that was, I think it was eight hours from Snyder. Yeah. You know, it was yeah. way down there. And well, it was far enough that, uh, we all rode on Friday and then, uh, or no, we were all rode on Thursday and then Friday morning, like 10 or 15 of us all loaded up in a couple of pickups and we drove to, to Mexico to the to the border, mm-hmm. and we stopped and parked oh, wow. on the American side. Yeah, 
And then we walked down this trail. There's a Mexican guy standing there and he was pointing down this trail. He was just pointing. And uh, so we walked down this trail and we got down there and there's two Mexicans sitting there in a rowboat. Oh, and wow. uh, we give them all a dollar a piece to row us across the Rio Grande. Okay. Into and Mexico. And then they pointed. Yeah. 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 They rode us. They took us across the Rio Grande in a, in a rowboat. And they kept pointing. They pointed at this big oak tree. That was you could see the top of the tree, but you had to walk up a little hill and then back down in the bottom of the tree. There was about twenty five burrows all tied up there, and they were pointing at us to go go to the tree, go to the tree. And so we went to the tree, and then all of us jumped on these burrows and rode them about a mile to a little town called Boquias. And uh, there was no no electricity, you know. It was I mean there was little shops and a bar and you know a couple of bars and and uh a restaurant and and stuff but it was i mean like like the 1800s just about okay and we rode these burrows we we raced all these burrows into town and and uh went and you know <laughs> had, a, had a few cervezas <laughs> and uh and stuff like that yeah. and uh it, it was a pretty wild time i i got lucky enough that i i drawed a a pretty young burrow and i rode him in that bar and and uh it didn't take but about three minutes and that barmaid come at us with one of them big old bristle brooms <laughs> and and i mean whacked the snot out of me and that donkey and we got the hell out of that bar i know that <laughs> rode the donkey into the bar yeah, wow. I rode him into the, into the bar, and, and uh, there was there was one horse in that whole town. Everything else was donkeys and, and burros, and and uh, some buddies of mine, Colt Dowdy and uh, Kent Crouch. Uh, I think it was Kent Crouch. I can't remember. Anyways, they 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 broke into this pen and caught this horse, and uh, and they took off with him. They jumped this little fence. They were riding him double, and he had never been rode double, I don't think. And he, they had a runaway all the, all the way down to the river. And, of course, we're all kayaking our donkeys, you know, trying to get down there to watch it. <laughs> and uh, mine was young enough that mine would actually lope. Everybody else's, they they were trotting. And, and so I got down there kind of first, and they were hooping and hollering and riding this, this, I'll never forget. It was a bay horse and they take off and they get down into the river and it goes, splash, splash, splash. Yeah. And then they, then they all, all three of them just disappear. They fell in that deep channel in the, in the Rio Grande. Oh, wow. And, uh, Kent, he he ends up, he ends up on the American side and Colt, Colt Dowdy, he ends up on the Mexican side and the horse gets back on his own and takes off back up to the, back up to the, to the little town there. And I thought that we were all dead. I was pretty sure we were going to get killed over that deal. I was like, you can't steal horses in Mexico. It just (laughs) doesn't work very good. No. You guys are idiots. (laughs) So, uh. So needless to say, we got rode back across to the American side and we got the hell out of there as quick okay. as we could. I know that, but well, this yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was something else to, you know, to, to see that, it, uh, I, I tell people about it and they're like, no way. I'm yeah, like, oh yeah. yeah. 
Sounds yeah. like an adventure right out of the Carmack McCarthy books. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, what, what an it, adventure. Like a, like an Ace Reed cartoon, you know, just, <laughs> it's just something else. But. Oh my goodness. Stole a horse. If, if that's going to lead to trouble, Sean, that, that is oh, just. I know. <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't in on that deal. I was just walking. Oh my, what a, what a great conversation. You know what? I think we're going to end it here right now because, um, I don't know how to top that. And it's been about, uh, about an hour and 20 minutes. So what I want to do, if it's all right, Sean, uh, maybe have another conversation with you where we pick up where you are. Um, sure. you know, you're riding in the PRCA at this point. Next question is going to be moving to the IPRA. How'd you find them? Yep. Uh, this has just been great, Sean. I really, really, really appreciate this. Been a lot of fun today. You bet. I'm glad, glad, uh, glad you had me. Okay. Well, good. Excellent. Well, drive safe. Be careful. We'll do for sure. And to our listeners, we hope that you enjoyed our podcast, this conversation, as much as we enjoyed having it. If you do, please share it with your friends. Make your listening easier. You can find us on all the major streaming uh, platforms right now. Search for Beyond the Shoots and follow us. And remember, check out the New York State Rodeo Museum Facebook group page and become a member. It was what started this podcast. And we'd like to say thank you to Parasite Systems for their support with our podcast. Parasite System is a push-button parasitic diagnostic system for your pasture animals. Horses, cattle, goats, sheep, chickens, and for your companion animals, your dogs and your cats. You can find them at ParasiteSystems.com. And remember, we have a coupon, BTC023, to get 50% off your specimen kits. Go online, use that coupon, get your kits coming, get your results, and let's go hunting for those parasites. And this is Beyond the Shoot with Sean Miner today. Hope you had fun. This is Doug Simcox. Thank you for listening.